Turn with me this morning, please, to uh, Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. the end here of another council or Sanhedrin meeting, and the apostles have got themselves into trouble yet again. And uh, it is Gamaliel that speaks here in verse 38. So Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 38, reading to the end of the chapter. And he says, Now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, then it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. We'll just bow again in a wee word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your precious word this morning. We thank you for the freedom that we all enjoy to open the scriptures today, for the opportunity that we all have to be here today. And we pray, Lord, now that you will open our, or open your word to us, open our minds to it, open our mouths to tell others of this wonderful, amazing good news. We pray, Father, that this will be a very, very bad day for the devil at the lifeboat, and that he will even waken up tomorrow morning with such a hangover that he'll say to himself that he never, ever wants to visit this place again. Father, we pray that you'll come now, bless us with your presence, speak to every person in this meeting this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll agree with me that uh, the world has changed uh, in the past year. A lot has happened, even in the past 10 or 11 months, that truly is remarkable. I was thinking uh, just a few days ago how way back in 1951, the Reverend Ian Paisley formed the Free Presbyterian Church. 20 years after that, in 1971, the same man founded uh, the Democratic or the Ulster Democratic Unionist Party. Now, some of you will remember way back in the 80s, if you even suggested power sharing, uh, you run the risk of being shot. If someone had have said to you way back in the 80s that in 2020, 
the DUP, along with Sinn Féin and a power-sharing executive, would have agreed to close the Free Presbyterian Church and all the other churches, well, you would have thought that that person was mad. The situation in Northern Ireland today is this. Schools that teach evolution are open, but the Sunday schools that teach creation have been ordered to close. Sunday services are cancelled, doors to churches are locked, prayer meetings are banned. It even gets more bizarre. Way back in 1934, um, a man called Lord Craigavon, referring to Northern Ireland, said that this, uh, or referring to Stormont, he said that this was a Protestant parliament for a Protestant state. And yet in 2020, the only buildings allowed to open for private prayer is the Catholic buildings, the Catholic Church. I was in Armagh the other day, walked up to the Church of Ireland Cathedral, locked. Walked across to the Roman Catholic Cathedral, open. And inside that building were dear people praying. And you know, those dear people could teach a lot of Protestants today about devotion in prayer. Now, if I'd stood up here even a year ago and said that this was all going to happen, this was the way it was going to be at the end of 2020, you'd have laugh, laughed me to scorn. And you'd have said to me, go out that door, you'd have said, Robert Little, you have lost your mind. You have finally lost the plot. You'd have said that even if it was remotely possible, the Bible-believing churches would never allow it to happen. But they have. Now, of course, don't get me wrong this morning, there are religious buildings closed today, and it is a good job that they are closed. And I hope they stay closed after the lockdown, because they don't preach what is in this book. They don't talk about sin, they don't stress the need to be converted, and they never mention hell. So friends, as we approach another new year, let nothing surprise you and be prepared for anything in 2021, because I can tell you this, more changes are on the way. One thing we can all be sure about this morning, and it is this, the end times train has left the station. And most of the church are still sitting, sleeping on the platform. Of course, the churches that are closed this morning will say, oh, sure, we had no choice. We must obey the rules. We must not break the law. After all, Romans 13, it teaches very clearly that we are to be subject to government. And all that is true. The Christian is to obey the government. But Scripture makes one exception to this command when obedience to civil authority would require disobedience to God's word. So when the government says it's okay to kill a baby in the mother's womb, we say, no, it is not, for that is murder. When the government says it's okay to pervert marriage, join together two men or two women, we say, no, it is not, because that is an abomination. And when the government says we must lock the churches, close down the Sunday schools and the youth fellowships and ban the prayer meetings, we say, no, we will not, and we have the authority of God to do that. Do you remember when Pharaoh brought in the Hebrew midwives, and of course Pharaoh was the head of the Egyptian government, and he told those midwives, listen, if the Hebrew women are giving birth to boys, kill the boys, only allow the girls to live. Did those Hebrew midwives obey the government? No, they didn't. 
They disobeyed the government. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Obednego to obey the law and worship the golden image? Under the threat of death, did those boys obey the government? No, they didn't. They disobeyed the government. Do you remember when Darius ordered Daniel not to pray to his God for 30 days? Did Daniel obey the government? What did he do? He ignored that ungodly government and he carried on as normal, praying three times a day to God beside his window so that the whole city could see that he wasn't going to bow down to the God of this world. Our government has ordered the church to stop praising God, stop praying to God, and 99% of the church has complied. Oh, they say, but we can still listen to online messages. We can still pray at home. Well, Daniel could have prayed with the windows closed, but he wasn't for compromising. Some of the people who say that we must obey the government when they tell us to shut down the churches, they're the same ones who were the very first to disobey the government when it came to an orange parade at Drumcree. They were the first to bring the country to a standstill in protest at the Anglo-Irish Agreement. They were the same ones to organize civil disobedience by blocking roads and ports and withholding rate payments and car tax. In fact, they were the first ones to form themselves into a private army to oppose the legitimate forces of law and order. But now when it's their party that's in the government making the rules to close the churches, suddenly it's different. Suddenly the government must be obeyed. Of course, after the Lord's resurrection in John 10, or 20, verse 19, it was a Sunday evening, the disciples were in fear of their lives, and yet they still met together. In Acts 4, verses 18 to 20, when Peter and John were threatened and warned by the authorities not to preach the gospel, they replied by saying, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you or listen to God, you can judge for yourself, but we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And you know, friends, we, the remnant of God, cannot but speak of what we've experienced, what we have heard, and what we have witnessed. And whether it's on the doorstep or a street corner or in the pulpit of this building, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will be preached. And as for that lady in Stormont that can't even obey her own rules, and after the abortion referendum in the south of Ireland, held up a sign which read, The North will be next craving for the blood of little Irish babies. We don't take our authority from her. We listen to God. That's not, of course, we obviously do pray for the people on the hill. We certainly do. We pray for all in authority uh, because except they repent, they shall all likewise perish. You know, that same determined no-nonsense spirit exists throughout this chapter. 3,000 souls had been saved at Pentecost. That had risen to 5,000 in chapter 4. And the, the revival was continuing. Verses 12 and 16 of this chapter, great signs and wonders were taking place. Multitudes were coming into Jerusalem. Souls were being converted. People were being healed. But of course, when God is moving, there will be opposition. The high priest Annas is furious. The Sadducees are absolutely livid and enraged. The difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees was that the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection or an afterlife. 
The Pharisees believed in both. That's why Scripture records the conversion of certain Pharisees, but never a single Sadducees, not one. That's why God calls atheists fools today. How foolish it is to believe that there is no God. Worse still, how foolish it is not to prepare to meet God. Wonders there's someone in our meeting this morning and you still haven't prepared to meet God. You know, there are Sadducees in our own government today, deniers of God's existence. And worse than that, they're worse than demons because at least the demons do believe and yet tremble at the thought of a future judgment. These apostles were members of the hated Christian sect. So they were criminals in the eyes of the law. And so in verse 18, they were thrown into a public prison. And then something supernatural happens in the middle of the night here in verse 19. An angel of the Lord appears. Now this is not the angel of the Lord which appeared to Moses at the burning bush. That was the Lord himself. This was a messenger from the Lord who swung open the prison doors and told the apostles to go and to preach the word. Did they go? After all, they'd just been arrested by the Jewish authorities for breaking the law. They'd been put in prison according to the law. Did they refuse to go? Did they say, no, we can't go. That would be against the law. We're in, in enough trouble as it is. No, they got out of that prison as fast as they could. Did they preach in the temple? After all, this was why they were arrested in the first place. Should they not lie low for a little while? Maybe take to the hills or disappear into the wilderness? Maybe catch a boat to Cyprus or go on the run? No, actually, they went back into the thick of it. Not into another town or a country to preach, but into the temple to preach and to take their stand. So what has happened here in verses 19 and 20? Well, this is what has happened. God sent an angel to spearhead a prison break to organize the preaching of a forbidden message which would inevitably lead to an illegal gathering. Why would God do that? Because when obedience to civil authority means we, we must be disobedient to God's word, then we must always obey God. There were three man-made rules broken here in the space of two verses. And they didn't need to think about it either. There was no committee or board meeting organized to discuss whether or not it was right to ignore the authorities and to obey the Great Commission. No, verse 21 says, early in the morning, first thing they were there. There was no, no breakfast for these men. There were lost souls to be reached. There was much preaching to be done. Praying and preaching must always be a priority for the church. And if there is a pestilence and more people are dying as a result of that, then obviously the church needs to get extra busy at praying and preaching. Not too many are keen to be seen witnessing on the streets, but that is certainly not the case here with the apostles. You see, these men had been with Jesus. These men were genuinely converted. These men were on fire and they were willing to die for Christ. Eventually the council it does meet up and they call for the prisoners to be brought in, but by now the prisoners are gone. The guards are still at the doors, but the prison is empty. The high priest, the chief priests are baffled. And then report comes in that the prisoners have been spotted teaching the people in the temple all about the Lord. They're then brought before the council, challenged regarding their disobedience. But Peter responds in verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. Peter's not sanctioning civil disobedience. But when the commands of men are contrary to the explicit commands of God, 
then brothers and sisters, we must obey God and be ready to suffer the consequences. We have been commanded to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. That day of the Lord is almost here. And it is important that when the Lord returns, he finds us obedient to his word. And then Peter gives it to them both barrels, just like Stephen would do in, cha in chapter 8, verse 52. And regardless of the consequences, and ready at that moment to die for his Savior, he says in verse 30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a Savior, for to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Yes, we must obey God rather than men. The council is cut to the heart. They decide to kill the apostles until wise old Gamaliah steps in at the last minute. He was the one who lectured the apostle Paul, and he gave a couple of examples of failed rebellions in the past in verses 36 and 37. He told them to leave the apostles alone because if their work was of men, it would just fizzle out and perish anyway. But if it was of God, then they would never defeat it. And worse than that, they would fight against God. And he was right. Because for the past 2,000 years, men have fought against God and his people. And yet the work has never fizzled out. We have never been defeated. And the reality is we never will. And so they agree with Gamaliah. But as we have read in these last few verses of this chapter, even though the apostles were looked upon as criminals and condemned by counsel, they went on to be conquerors for Christ. And through them and others, God would end up turning the world upside down. First of all, we see here the discipline suffered by the apostles. Verse 40 says the men were given a good beating. And the council was able to justify this because the law of Moses permitted the condemned to be thrashed. The apostles of Christ were viewed by the world as criminals and deserving of the usual flogging of 40 stripes, save one. But these men were innocent. They were unjustly treated. Jesus had warned them that this would happen. He said, beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. They will scourge you in their synagogues. The early church knew all about persecution under Emperor Nero. If a Christian father refused to sacrifice the Roman gods and give allegiance to the Roman state, then he was made to watch his family being torn to pieces by wild animals. Now we're just afraid to open the churches. Muslims are ready to die for their religion, but Christians are no longer prepared even to live for theirs. What has happened to us? But friends, I have good news for you this morning. Whether you get the COVID or not, whether you even get the vaccine or not, you're going to die anyway. And when you die, you're going to stand at the Bema seat, so you better start living for Jesus Christ. Even Christian workers are saying, because of the COVID, we can't knock doors, we can't visit people. Really? So the postman can deliver junk mail six days a week, and you can't deliver a gospel tract? FedEx and Parcel Force can deliver Christmas presents from Amazon, and yet you can't deliver the greatest gift of all. You know, the devil has tried for centuries to throw a spanner into the works of the Great Commission. 
closed down the prayer meetings and now he's taking full advantage of a virus that is mixed with a whole lot of unnecessary fear. He never thought it would be so easy. But I guess he just had to be patient and wait until the church was too weak to put up a fight. Oh, people say that these closures, these lockdowns can't be a satanic attack on the church or everything else is closed. Well, friends, what does the Bible say? It tells us to be sober, be vigilant, be alert to his subtle tactics, for he is not called the great deceiver for nothing. Most of the church is being deceived today. The devil doesn't care if the nightclubs go bust, and it's great to see the coach in Bond Bridge is finally closed. But, the, you know, the devil doesn't care about the nightclubs closing. The young people will still get their drugs. He doesn't care if the bars, the restaurants, the shops are closed. He doesn't care if the economy is now in a worse position than it has been for the last 300 years. So long as he gets the churches closed, the prayer meetings off, and we stop reaching the lost. In Luke chapter 5, verse 12, a man who was full of leprosy, full of leprosy, absolutely covered in the stuff, he came to Jesus, he fell on his face, he pleaded to Jesus to help him. Now, Jesus could have healed that man from a distance like he did with the centurion's servant, but we're told that Jesus put forth his hand and he touched him. He touched him. A man full of leprosy. You see, he's a compassionate savior. And you know, folks, the people that we rub shoulders with today may well be out of our reach tomorrow. So don't you let some virus stop you from reaching the Lord. Oh, but people say, you know, social distancing. Well, you know, Jesus didn't believe in social distancing when he touched the leper. Oh, but we need to remain isolated to save lives. Do you know how many people in Japan took their own lives last month? In that one country in one month, the month of October, 2,153 committed suicide because of isolation and lockdown and loneliness. That's more the entire COVID death rate all year in that one country. People, even Christians, are now terrified of human contact because of the non-stop daily brainwashing and fear showing on the mainstream media. It's time to turn the BBC off, folks. You see, God never gave us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So there was the discipline they suffered, but we see also the directive given to the apostles. You know, after the apostles were beaten, they're commanded to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. So this was not a request. This was not a suggestion or some form of guidance here. This was an order to be obeyed. This was a, a demand to be adhered to. The apostles were left in no doubt. They were not to preach the gospel but they'd already been given clear instructions by the Lord through the angel to do the opposite. And Jesus had also told them to be witnesses for me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. The apostles were providing an essential service, but the council wanted to close them down, wanted them to go away, wanted rid of them. You know, friends, our executive have decided that the true Bible-believing church is now less important than McDonald's, garden centers, and off-licenses, and much of the church have accepted that. 
All you hear now is about COVID. But suicides is up. Domestic violence is up. Child abuse is up. In fact, in the past 12 months, there, was, there has been 37,000 calls to the PSNA with regards to, me, to domestic violence. And of course, we know alcohol fuels all of that. And yet our executive, in their wisdom, decide to close the churches and keep the off-licenses open. Close the very thing that offers hope in this mayhem. And they've shut us down. Tesco, Asda, Sainsbury's are considered essential services. But of course, the food that they offer will only sustain you for a day or two. But the food that the church offers will sustain you for all eternity. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. And yet our ungodly government has shut the church down. The Sanhedrin were determined to silence the message. To them it was worthless. It was irrelevant. And as far as our government is concerned, we have become irrelevant. The government have tried everything to get out of this mess. They've tried lockdowns, social distancing, face masks, hand washing, quarantining, isolating, different tiers of restrictions. Nothing's working. Smallpox, Spanish flu, hepatitis, HIV, Ebola, rabies, SARS, now COVID. You see, they still don't get it. Pestilences tell us that the whole thing is over. For sinners, the game is now up. Time is up. My dear sinner, this morning, you too must understand that like the government, you cannot work yourself out of this mess. You are lost, you are helpless, you're in a hopeless situation. It's not that you're a bad person who can work yourself good. The fact is you're a dead person who needs quickened by the Holy Spirit. Only God can help you. Only God can save you. You see, you don't need to be worried about COVID putting you into a grave. You need to be worried about what's beyond the grave. Because you have a lifetime of sin behind you. You have a hell beneath you. You have an angry God above you. And you have a judgment in front of you. So don't fear that which can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him that is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, the church is not some sort of social club or bingo hall. It is a 24-7 light of the world. We will not be hid. We will not be switched off. We are the most essential service on the face of this planet, and we will not be shut down. The discipline, the directive, thirdly, the delight expressed here by the apostles. You know, after being severely beaten and threatened, the apostles would have been forgiven if they had just limped home and sought treatment for their wounds. But far from feeling sorry for themselves, these men rejoiced. Far from being discouraged or intimidated, the apostles saw it as sharing in Christ's suffering. Perhaps due to their injuries, there wasn't a lot of jumping up and down, but certainly there was singing, there was celebrating as they praised the Lord, thrilled that they had been counted worthy to be persecuted for his name's sake. Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so, friend, if you're suffering an attack from the enemy today, 
Believe it or not, this is a cause for rejoicing. You see, it is a sign that you truly are born again. You see, you belong to Christ. The enemy hates Christ. The enemy will hit you. You may not feel like it, but rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer for his name. Paul says, rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, because very soon it'll all be over. You know, when news of their delight no doubt made, made its way back to the Sanhedrin, I'm sure they were filled with fury and frustration and wondered what else they could do with these men that would not give up, refused to back down, men who had actually thanked God for the flogging that they had received. The Jewish authorities just couldn't understand what made these men tick. Couldn't understand. Recently it has been announced the Australian airline Qantas is the first airline to announce that vaccination will be compulsory for their international flights. That's going to be the first of many. Reuters news agency reported on Monday that the new government vaccine minister says that people who refuse a vaccine for COVID could find normal life curtailed as restaurants and bars and cinemas and sports venues could block entry to those who don't have proof that they are inoculated. It has been suggested that such proof could come in digital form or maybe in some sort of tattoo. They're now calling it the vaccine card or the international travel pass. Do you see now how the screw is beginning to tighten? Friends, do you see how the devil, like some dirty pedophile, is grooming us to accept his mark? But folks, listen. You know, if the government can think they can force the remnant to take a a vaccine by banning us from partaking in the things of the world, then they don't know the first thing about what makes the true church of Jesus Christ tick. And when they're banning us from their football matches and their restaurants and their airlines, we will be rejoicing. There was a time when I never missed a football match in Windsor Park. Watched them beat England. Watched them beat Spain 3-2. David Haley that night scored a hat-trick. But in the last time I was there, I stood outside the ground and I gave out tracks. And I can honestly say I got more satisfaction out of that than being inside the game, inside the ground watching the game. Because, you see, that's what really makes the Christian tick. The joy of serving Jesus Christ. It was an honor for these men to suffer for the cause of Christ. Jesus said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Of course, we will never suffer the way our Lord suffered for us. But you know, anything we do suffer, we will rejoice to be counted worthy, to even taste even a fraction of what the Lord did for you and did for me. The street preacher will be verbally abused spat at, physically assaulted, sworn at. It is the same world as the apostles lived in with the same hatred for Christ and for his people. The police were called out to me in Dungan just a few weeks ago, and you know, this sort of thing is going to steadily increase. But we are to endure to the end, occupy until he comes, 
And whatever we face, we can rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. If you're truly converted, there will be no escaping the trials and tribulations to come. Paul, who was no stranger, who knew all about it, he said, All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. No exceptions. But with God's grace we can endure it and we will rejoice because of it and our reward will be in heaven and not before. You see, you could point a thousand people to Christ, be used to sow the gospel seed in a million hearts and never get your picture in the paper, never be mentioned on the Queen's New Year's Honours list, but great will be your reward in heaven. So friends, lay lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust will corrupt and thieves will break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust will corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. The discipline, the directive, the delight, finally we see here the disobedience shown by the apostles. So despite getting clear instructions not to speak in the name of Jesus, the apostles break the guidance or the regulations or whatever else you want to call it, and with all their hearts they teach and they preach Jesus Christ. You see, if you believe it is wrong to oppose an ungodly government when it closes down the church, then obviously it must be wrong for Christians to risk their lives to smuggle Bibles into communist China. That's also breaking the law. And it must have been wrong for these Christians to preach in the Jewish temple. But you can't have it both ways. Not only do they preach in the temple, but they completely ignore the stay-at-home message by visiting every single house. They are determined to reach everyone, every visitor to the city in the temple, and every resident of the city in their homes. Not just on the first day of the week or a few days during the week, but daily. Every single day. We have closed the places of worship down. We have locked the doors. We're afraid to visit the elderly in their homes. We have ceased to pray every day. But the apostles did the opposite to us because they ceased not to preach and teach Jesus Christ every day. Even though the city of Jerusalem was in lockdown to the apostles and against the law to spread this new doctrine, the apostles knew that they ought to obey God rather than men. The church at the minute has ceased, but the early church never ceased. Why did they cease not? Because, friends, this message was so vital, it had to be preached. There was a pandemic of death in Jerusalem. There has always been a pandemic of death in the world ever since the Garden of Eden. COVID is not a pandemic because the pandemic has always been here. One out of every one person dies. The vaccine is not a cure for death. 100% of people with the sin virus are dying. And the only vaccine is the precious blood of Christ. Do you know how many people will die in Northern Ireland and go out into a lost eternity during these two weeks of lockdown whilst the church sits back, puts their feet up and takes it easy? Over 600. 600. 
The early church rejoiced to be counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. But the present church ought to be ashamed. So friends, don't go shutting down the prayer meetings. We haven't been called to run food banks or give out free ice cream or tickle ears with motivational speakers or entertain the lost. We have been called to teach and preach Jesus Christ because he is the only one that can save the lost. The apostles ceased not because they believed in their hearts that they were providing an essential service. The world is watching on this morning, friends. And by closing down the church, it sends a signal to the lost that we don't really believe their soul is worth risking a fine for. It tells them that we don't really believe our message is all that important after all. The condemned criminal, Charlie Peace, was being led to the gallows. And he turned to the prison chaplain who was casually and unsympathetically reading some Bible verses about hell. And he turned to that chaplain and he said this, Sir, if I believe what you and the Church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on my hands and on my knees just to save one soul from an awful hell like that. And across this province this morning, the church is a long, long way off from that compassion. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, not the Pope of Rome, not the Queen of England, not the first or the deputy first minister or even the health minister, but Jesus Christ. And he alone has the authority to shut the church. But his word tells us this morning to cease not. Politicians will come and go. Boris Johnson's days are numbered. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his kingdom will never end. You know, on the last day, friends, I don't think the Lord will say to any one of us here at the lifeboat, you know, I think you were too extreme during COVID. I don't think he's going to say that at all. But I do believe an awful lot of us will wish we had given him more. Let's not wish it, friends. Let's do it. You know, I've never been more excited to come to church, to be part of a prayer meeting, to open my Bible, to read about prophecy, because I believe in my heart something big is about to happen. God is moving. Our brother Stephen said here last Sunday morning, we're in the last generation. And so friend, if you're backslidden or unconverted this morning, the reality is you're going to miss out on the church's finest hour. So friend, get your house in order. Come to the cross, repent of your sins, seek Christ's mercy, enlist in the Lord's army, and join the rest of us as we take the fight to the enemy. Yes, like the apostles of old, you will be condemned by the authorities, but you'll be conquerors for Christ, and great will your reward be in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your presence with us in this meeting.
thank you, Lord. Your, your word leaves us in no doubt today where, what we should be doing in these times and what stand we should be taking. We pray that you'll remember those who are fasting and praying this afternoon. And we pray that as others go home, we pray that we are, when we're sitting down to our roast beef dinners, that you'll help us to be mindful of our brothers that are here standing in the gap. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of children even in our own land tonight that will be going to bed hungry. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of the millions that are still unreached with the bread of life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.